Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them to discover what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. This podcast is provided totally free and with no outside advertising. So if you enjoy it, please share with your friends and write us a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference. For a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be talking about How to Be a Latin Lover by Chris Spain and John Zack. And while this screenplay may not teach you how to be a Latin lover, it will teach you a hell of a lot about screenwriting. If you've seen How to Be a Latin Lover, or if you've read the script, you know that from page one, from the very first scene, you know if you want to go on the ride of this movie. And that is so important if you want to succeed as a screenwriter. If you want to succeed as a screenwriter, the most important page you will ever write is your very first page. And the most important page you will ever rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite is also your very first page. Your very first page is the most important page in your screenplay because the very first page is the only page pretty much everyone is going to actually read. Your manager, your agent, your coverage reader, your producer, your star... Everybody in the entertainment industry is getting absolutely swamped with screenplay after screenplay after screenplay after screenplay. All these screenplays that they have to read, stacking up on their desks or on their iPads. And the truth is, everybody wants to read all those scripts, but it's absolutely impossible. Most of those scripts get sent out for coverage, and even the coverage readers can't really fully read all the scripts that are descending upon them. It would be impossible. A coverage reader makes about 50 bucks a script. And so when you think about what it would take for you to read a whole script, write a good logline, a good summary, and a good commentary in that script, you realize that there is no way that a coverage reader can afford to actually read every script that they're given. They would be working for less than minimum wage. Instead, what most coverage readers are doing is they're making a decision, and they're making that decision on the very first page, because most of what coverage readers read is bad. Most of what coverage readers read is not exciting, is not marketable, is not producible. And that means that coverage readers are jaded. They have a really rough job. They've got to read bad material again and again and again. And that means that when they open your script, especially a script from an unrepresented writer, a writer that they don't know, they are already making the assumption it's probably not going to be good. Because even the scripts that they get from famous writers, from produced writers, from writers with big managers and big agents, oftentimes those scripts aren't good. So you've got someone who's already feeling down before they even open your script. They're already feeling jaded before they even open your script. And at the same time, every single one of those people desperately wants to find that diamond in the rough. Because nobody wants to stay a coverage reader. Coverage readers want to become writers or agents or assistants or development executives. And the way that you get there is by knocking the socks off of your boss with your incredible ability to find that diamond in the rough. So you have this interesting thing going on for readers, right? On the one hand, they all want to find the diamond in the rough. On the other hand, they all feel like they're never going to see it because if you read a thousand scripts, 999 of them are bad. Which means that if you want to win them over, you have to win them over from the very first page. You can think of this like if you're going for a job interview, 
and you show up in a really great suit. Versus if you go into a job interview and you show up and you look rumpled or disheveled or your flies undone or your ties off or your skirts on backwards. Even though you might give the best interview of your life, even though you might win them over, you can never erase that first impression. The first scene and the first page of your movie are the first impression that anyone will ever have of your film. And once you give that impression, it is impossible to erase it. If you're writing a comedy and you make them laugh on the first page, or even better, in the first half a page, in the first quarter of a page, they will be inclined to laugh for the rest of your script. They will already be feeling the humor. They will be seeing everything through that window. If you're writing a horror movie and you make them cringe on that very first page, they will already be inclined to cringe to see your movie through that horror window. If you're writing a movie about family and you make them feel that family connection in the very first page, they're going to see your movie through that window. You're looking to create a first scene that captures the feeling of the script. You're looking to create a first scene that announces your talent as a writer. You're looking for a first scene that locks in exactly who this character is. You're looking for a first scene that sets the world of your movie. To say it in the simplest way, you're looking for a first scene that grabs their reader by their designer lapels and says, look, you got to pay attention to me. This one's actually good. The problem is that you don't find that by trying to be good. And that's the challenge that we have is that often when we try to be good, when we try to be impressive, we end up being showy. We end up being false. Instead, you do that by understanding what your movie is really about. And sometimes it takes time to understand what your movie is really about. It takes time to fully connect, to fully get in there, to understand what your themes are and who your characters are and how your characters are. In fact, in How to Be a Latin Lover, the real theme, the real thing holding this movie together actually arises late in the movie. There's a pretty beautiful scene between Maximo and Sarah. For those of you who haven't seen the film, Maximo is the ultimate gold digger. At the beginning of the movie, he has married a wealthy woman for her money. She ends up leaving him after 20 years, leaving him with absolutely nothing. And now he has to reconnect with his sister, Sarah, who he's basically ignored for 20 years in order to find a place to live and hopefully seduce another rich woman. So this is the premise of the movie. But this isn't what the movie is really about. The movie is really about his relationship with his sister and his relationship with his sister's son. Pretty late into the script, there's a scene between Maximo and Sarah. Sarah's husband has died and she's just been axed out on a date by her next door neighbor. And she is afraid to go on the date. And Maximo says, well, you know what I do when I get afraid? I get drunk. And so Maximo and his estranged sister get really, really drunk together. And there's a moment where Sarah tells Maximo that her favorite thing to do is to take really sad songs and turn them into salsas. And this is a funny little scene as she takes the saddest song she knows and turns it into a salsa. But it's also the real theme of the piece. It's really what the movie's about. It's about taking the sad things in our lives and turning them into comedy. And in fact, as anyone who's written comedy will tell you, that's what comedy is about. 
Comedy is not about making them laugh. Comedy is about looking inside of yourself and making yourself laugh. Looking inside of yourself and laughing at the things that hurt you. Turning sadness into comedy. And what's really cool is that this theme gets established, this idea gets established from the very first scene. One of the saddest events possible, the loss of a father, gets played in this very first scene for ridiculous comedy. So we have a voiceover. Young Maximo is telling us the story of his father who always worked very hard and who told his children, you don't get what you wish for. You get what you work for. And he talks about how his father was away for long periods of time, but would drive all night to come home. And there's this adorable little scene where everyone runs out of the house to wave hello to the father who falls asleep at the wheel of his tanker truck and ends up driving right through their little house. He crashes through the other side, and all the family have scattered, and we hear from the truck, I'm okay. And then, boosh, the tanker truck goes up in flames. Now, this is not funny. This is sad. And in fact, how to be a Latin lover is riddled with sadness. 20 years later, Maximo has lost his wife, whether he is a gold digger or not. Sarah has lost her husband. Her son, Hugo, has lost his father. And despite its romantic comedy structure, How to Be a Latin Lover actually is not built like a romantic comedy. Now, if you haven't seen How to Be a Latin Lover, there are some mild spoilers ahead, but I don't think anything that will take away from your experience of the film. Seeing a movie of this type, look, we have actually seen this structure many times before. We have seen the structure of the ne'er-do-well who has to reconcile with the family in order to develop a relationship with a child who changes him forever. We've seen it in comedies. We've seen it in dramas. We recently saw it with Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy and St. Vincent. It's a very common structure. And because we're used to that common structure, we have certain expectations. And so the moment that we see Maximo... And we understand his problem as a man who believes that love is about money. And as soon as we send him into the yogurt shop with the ridiculous, funny, beautiful cat lady who seems to like him, as soon as we see any of these things, we think we know exactly where we are. We think we're watching a romantic comedy. We think that Maximo and the funny cat lady are going to fall in real love. We think that Maximo is then going to have to choose between the rich lady and the girl who has nothing. All of those expectations are set for us. And knowing our expectations, the writers Chris Bain and John Zack turn those expectations upside down because that love story never develops. Instead, what we watch is Maximo bounce from person to person being unable to form that relationship. He doesn't have his youth anymore. He's not attractive to the Raquel Welsh character, Celeste, who he's trying to seduce. He's not attracted to the Kristen Bell character, Cindy, who he works with. And by the end of the movie, while he has, of course, as we can see coming, reconciled with his sister and her little boy, he doesn't find love. Rather, he finds himself back in another gold digger relationship he finds himself not changing in relationship to love. So a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on Manchester by the Sea about characters who don't change or characters who change a little. This is a character who changes a lot, but also doesn't change at all. And if you let Kenneth Lonergan write this and direct this, rather than being a comedy, this same movie could feel like Manchester by the Sea. This same movie could feel like a really hard-to-watch character-driven drama about a guy who lost his dad 
a sister who lost her husband, a boy who lost his father, about a bunch of people who want to believe in love but can't. This same movie that plays as a romantic comedy with a happy ending could play as a dark drama with just a couple of different twists in the execution. With just a few tiny changes in the execution, this is a tragedy about a guy who lost his father and a woman who lost her husband and a son who lost his father. About a dysfunctional relationship, about a guy who doesn't care about his sister or his nephew until he needs something from them. About a guy who discovers the love that's right in front of him only to realize that Time has passed him by, and that sweet young girl who might have actually given him a way out of his gold digger relationships isn't attracted to him. About a world in which a talented young architect can't get a break. About a guy who, learning what love really is too late, ends up sacrificing his chances at love for another gold digger relationship in order to help his sister. In different hands, this exact same plot is not a comedy at all. It's a tragedy. It's another Manchester by the Sea. And similarly, in different hands, Manchester by the Sea can become a comedy. Tragedy and comedy, they both come from the same place. They come from looking inside of you, finding the characters who live inside of you, and then looking at those characters through a very specific lens. They come from looking at the beauty and the pain and choosing to laugh about it or cry about it. Comedy is just tone. Jerry Perzigian, who teaches our TV comedy classes here at the studio, once said something to me that I thought was really brilliant. Jerry was a showrunner on a ton of hit shows in the 80s or 90s. He was a showrunner. He was a writer, married with children, the Golden Girls, the Jeffersons, Frasier. We're really lucky to have him here teaching. And one of the many words of wisdom that Jerry said to me was, when I work with comedy writers, I tell them first write it true and then make it funny, as opposed to the other way around. Comedy doesn't come from trying to be funny. Comedy comes from writing true. That's what makes me really excited about a movie like How to Be a Latin Lover, because How to Be a Latin Lover is as big and silly and goofy as a comedy can be. And it's just about as feel good as a comedy can be as well. Because everything is shot through a very specific lens. Everything is looked at through a very specific lens. Where instead of taking the tragedy so seriously, we learn to smile at it. A couple of months ago, I told you about a meditation that I did while I was traveling in Thailand. Where first we cried about our troubles. And then we laughed at them. We laughed at them realizing how small they are in the face of the giant scope of the universe. How to Be a Latin Lover is a movie that lets us do just that. So what can you take from this? Oftentimes I'm asked by students, what if I'm trying to write a comedy and it's not funny? Or what if I'm writing a comedy and I write a scene that's a drama? What if I'm trying to write a drama and it comes out funny or people are laughing where I don't want them to laugh? And the answer is that tragedy and comedy and drama and sci-fi, these are just tones Horror and thriller and noir, these are just tones. These are something that you lay on top of the truth. But writing comes from looking inside of you and finding that truth. And then deciding if you want to cry about it or if you want to laugh about it. Or sometimes if you want to do both. On the deep level, you can learn that from how to be a Latin lover. On the shallow level, you can learn something about technique. It doesn't matter if you're writing comedy or tragedy. It matters how you announce it, and it matters how you announce it on the first page. 
You want your first page to be the best page in your script and not just the best page in the script, this page that feels most like your script. You want your page to feel most like your script because you want your reader on that first page to immediately know, yes, this is the kind of thing that I want or no, this is not the kind of thing that I want. You want them to know from the very start. Oftentimes, as writers, we have the urge to save the best for last, to hold off on the really funny joke, on the really wonderful gag, on the trick ending. We had the urge to do that because we're afraid that we're never going to get that funny again or because we believe that we need to set stuff up for the audience. By the time you're done setting stuff up for the audience, the audience will have stopped reading. Instead of saving your best for last, I want you to save your best for first. Throw the best thing you've got right up at the very beginning of the script. And this is going to help you in two ways. First, it's going to help you commercially. When you save the best for first and your coverage reader reads it, they immediately know, yeah, I'm not going to skim this one. I'm going to read this one. They immediately perk up. They're immediately excited. It's like if you thought you were going to McDonald's and you were suddenly served a filet mignon. When your producer reads that first page, which is the only page that it's likely they're going to read, your producer will immediately know, yeah, this is for me, or no, this isn't. Introduce your character with the best scene on the very first page so that when your star reads it, they can go, yeah, this is a role that I want to play. When you save the best for first, you give yourself a chance of succeeding. Because if you save the best for last, by the time it comes up, they've probably already stopped. So this is going to help you commercially, but it's also going to help you creatively. Because when you save the best for first, it forces you to consistently outdo it. I'm going to tell you a story about my first job. I was director intern on um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum on Broadway with one of my mentors, Jerry Zachs. And Jerry is one of the great theater directors of all time. He's also directed some really wonderful films. And I'll never forget, Jerry had a gag at the beginning of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. If you guys have seen A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, it starts with a big chorus number, something familiar, something peculiar. It's this big, funny chorus number that's basically introducing you to the world of the show and basically telling you this is going to be total ridiculous, funny farce. So the whole cast is singing. And they run up towards the front of the stage. And as they run up, the curtain falls. And now the whole cast is singing behind the curtain. Then the curtain comes up just to their knees. And you see all these legs lined up. And they're still singing behind the curtains, but you can only see from the kneecaps down. And then the curtain goes up and all the legs go up with it. And it's a show-stopping laugh. If you saw that production on Broadway, you know that there was like a full minute where they had to pause the show at that moment because the audience laughed so hard. And I'll never forget when he first pitched the idea, a producer on the show said, Jerry, you can't do it. You can't do a show-stopping laugh at the very beginning of your show. And Jerry said, why not? And the producer said, what if it's never that funny again? The audience will eat you alive. And Jerry, as he did... Clapped his hands once, which was his signature move that everything was going to be okay. And Jerry said, that's why we have to keep making it funnier. The other thing that saving your best for first, putting your very best scene, the scene that most feels like the movie right at the very start of your script, 
is it forces you to outdo it and outdo it and outdo it. Putting a scene that's rendered with that kind of specificity up at the very beginning, that very specific gag that turns this tragedy into comedy, that very specific lens that lets us laugh at this incredibly sad moment, sets the bar for the whole rest of the movie. It lets us see the whole rest of the movie through the same lens. And it forces the writer to find that kind of specificity in every scene. So if you haven't gone to see How to Be a Latin Lover, go see it. And watch how, whether you love it or whether you hate it, watch how in every scene the writer finds one little specific thing to make it funny. How the writer finds one little gag, one little piece of rhythm, one little odd thing. One little surprise. Watch how the writers outdo themselves and outdo themselves and outdo themselves again and again and again. And this is really your job as a writer. Your job is not to make them laugh, not to prove how great you are, not to do it right for them. Your job is to look inside of you, pull out something real, laugh at it, cry about it, feel it in some way. Save your very best scenes for the very first and then outdo them and outdo them and outdo them. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please do share it with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes, and write us a review. It really does make a big difference. You can also get a complete transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on one of our international retreats, or one-on-one as part of our ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more on our website. That's writeyourscreenplay.com. Mm-hmm.